it's my privilege to introduce our speaker tonight. I know him quite well. He's, he's known me for roughly 31 years, um, being my father and all. Um, if you'd like to give Paul Bedford a, a round of applause. Good evening. Oh, come on, come on. Paul, it's good to get a prop. Come on. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'd like to tell you I'd be referring to this tonight. I said if I got that, I'd bring it into my sermon. Thunderbird 1. So I'm going to tell you, here's Thunderbird 1. It's got nothing to do with the sermon whatsoever, but it got me into buying it this afternoon. So <laughs> I should barely be referring to Thunderbird. How amazing is that? When, you were, when I was a kid, I wanted, there was a picture on the box of a kid about this big that made this look life-size. I don't know where they got the midget kid from, but there you go. So this is my Thunderbird one. Uh, tonight I want to talk about, um, uh, in a different, slightly different way, something is beginning to happen. Something is beginning to change. Something new is happening around Hope House, and that includes Hope House at six. Um, and I'm going to explain that a little bit as we go through tonight. So tonight's a little bit different, but week after week after week now, things are going to look and feel just a little bit different around this place. And I want to explain where we are. Because this is our smaller gathering, a big gathering on a Sunday morning, a, a, a Hope House a church gathering. But I want to stop calling that our main Hope House church gathering. That's just Hope House church gathering. This is Hope House church gathering. And something's beginning to happen I want to unfold and to explain. A different perception. Something we feel is right in God and a different language to begin to use. But I want to begin explaining that by talking about when I was a kid. Is anybody here? Were, were any of you ever children? Yeah, well, some of you, I can believe it. Some of you were found. Some of you were made. When I was a kid, I would have loved this. That's the only thing I have to say about it. I was talking to my mum the other day, and... uh, she was talking about where, where she was from and telling stories and uh, just reminiscing a little bit, telling about when she first met my dad when she was 15 and he was 16 and he had suede shoes, you know, blue suede shoes. And on, the, on the, the toes of these blue suede shoes were Indian chiefs' heads. And I just thought, wow, my parents were chavs. I just, <laughs> apparently they were rockers. I think that's like 50s chaps, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, look, it's, what's great is that people express themselves, they grow. That, that's my mother texting me, she's listening to this. <laughs> Just a minute. Get off stage now. No, that's, that's, that's Ian Darlington texting to say it's a men's meeting tomorrow night. I'm going to text him back and say, why weren't you in church? Somebody text him while we're on. All of you text him. They'll be bombarded by text saying, Ian, why are you not in church? When I was a kid, and I, it was interesting to listen to my mum talk about being a kid, how she grew and changed and tried things and try, tried styles and tried images, and I thought about me as a kid and the things I wore and uh, you know, all the kind of what you think is cool and what you think is presentable, trying to work out your identity. Uh, and you look back at pictures. I remember looked back at pictures and thought, oh, my days. I thought I looked good. Has anybody done that? 
We've all done it. And yet, and we change and we, we shift on and, and then when you get to my age, you start trying to dress like you did then again because somehow you think it'll be cool second time round. And, and it never is. But my mum was sort of talking about where she was from and I was sort of saying, well, I get a bit confused about where I'm from. And I said, because everybody says, Paul, you're from Barnsley. And I have this weird thing. I was born in Barnsley. But my childhood years were up in the Pennines at Deepcar and near Bolsterstone. So I'm like a village boy. And it's a weird thing, but I was only there from like three until I was 11. But because they're such formative years, those early years, in my mind, I have to correct, I always have to consciously think when people say, where are you from? I have to consciously say, I'm from Barnsley. Because I instinctively want to say, I'm from Deepcar. That's where I'm from. Because what happens when you're a child forms your future. It forms your thinking. It molds where you're going. And I'm kind of stuck in that place. So I'm a deep car kid. And when I drive through or go near it, to me that feels like, wow, wonder what they've done with my hometown. Even though I only lived there for such a short period of my time, of my life. Everything else has been lived in Barnsley. Um, which is why I'm posh for a Barnsley person. Because I'm actually from, I'm a D-Dar. Because I'm on the D-Dar side of Sheffield. If you're from D-Dar land and you're listening in tonight, well, you could have been in Barnsley. Your loss. Um, <laughs> what's interesting to me is, if I'd have known my future, it would have impacted how I was living as a child. You, you know, it wouldn't it be interesting if you knew where you were going, what you were doing? You have dreams and aspirations. And to me, my life, if I'd have got that as a five-year-old, would have felt complete. I would have had an inflatable Thunderbird 1. Other than wanting... I might have to go back because they had inflatable Thunderbird 2s and inflatable Thunderbird 3s. I mean, having the, I mean nobody wants Thunderbird. Nobody wants Thunderbird 5 because that's just boring. That was a boring guy sat in space. I mean, basically all the brothers sent him to space because it was tedious. But you've got to want a Thunderbird 3. I was thinking bottom of each side of the bed, Jewel. <laughs> Hanging from the ceiling. The seven quid fellas from TK Maxx. Bargain. If even just as a human boy, flesh and blood boy, what happens as a child forms how I think about myself now and it impacts my future, how much more so if I'm walking with God? How much more the presence of God in those years? How much more the presence of God in the early formative things? You see, as a church, we're thinking differently. We thought about gathering at 6 o'clock as our 6 o'clock service. But as time has gone on, we've begun to think differently about that. We've begun to look at it and say, what if that were a church plant? What if we were saying, this is a new church? What if we were saying, what you're doing right now was the childhood of a church? Because the foundations that were set for me at Deep Car as a kid up in the Pennines have formed so much of who I am, how I see the world, what I'm going to do. It, it influences my future. How much more, knowing the promises of God for us, if what we do right now as a new church, the Hope House Church that meets at six, what if we get that foundation right now? What does that mean for the years to come? What does that mean for the people in all these empty chairs around us? What does that mean when those people that we don't know yet are filling them? When people say to themselves, oh, I've got a church in Hope House, it's, it meets at six o'clock, because that's what they know. 
What foundations are we laying? As we move from just a meeting to the beginning of a new church, this church child experience, this history creating, sets the foundations for those to come. Imagine this. Imagine this. There are people walking around this town now. People sat at home waiting for Poldark. People watching TV, going for a walk, walking the dog, putting their kids to bed, coming home, popping out for a drink, wondering what to do, still at takeaway, heading down to McDonald's. Some of those people are going to get saved. Yeah. Oh, did you hear it? Yeah. Some of those ordinary, everyday people are going to get saved. They're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to worship the Lord side by side. We're going to call them brothers and sisters. We're going to call them family. They're going to be part of Hope House Church. They're going to become evangelists. They're going to become apostles. They're going to become teachers. They're going to become pastors. They're going to become faithful people of God that go and win other faithful people of God. How amazing is that? And we get to lay the foundation. What if the foundation we lay is set on a dead certain promised future? Not just a momentary experience tonight, and what's the date? 17th? 17th of June, 2018. Whatever we do tonight, that's it for the future. What if the decisions we make and how we live tonight, even in this room, are set by the promises of God for the future? Jeremiah 29 says this, For I know the plans I have for you. God speaking into our today situation. That's God speaking. The future is kingdom comeness over our today moment. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, before any church had ever been planted, God called this one into being. Plans to give you hope and a future. So every church called um, Wesley this or Salem that or Saint this, they're all second best because God said hope church first. All right? That's the one he promised. I'm kidding. It's not true. But he said to the people of God, I have plans to give you a hope house in the future. <laughs> now, seriously, everything we think, everything we feel, everything we react to, consider or see will impact, will be impacted by what's coming. And what is coming is the promise of God. So how we think today, how we feel today, needs to be impacted by that promise that he has plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. That's exciting, isn't it? I, I cast my mind back to the very earliest part of the church. And you just imagine when, when 12 people met in an upstairs room. 12 disciples, the, the kind of the bedraggled, almost last followers of Jesus. And they're kind of meeting together and saying, and so apparently Jesus says we're going to be sent out into the whole world. Us. Those guys. Those lot. You know, you know the ones that ran away and hid? Us. We're going to take on the entire world for the good news of Jesus Christ. Odds weren't good, were they? No. There are more than 12 of us tonight. Yeah. A lot more than 12 of us in this room. Something exciting is happening. But we've got to ask the questions. We've got to ask some questions. Who are we? Who are we? Who am I? What do I do? Why do I do it? Our character, our mood, our experiences, our self-esteem, all makers give different answers. You will give different answers. See, if you will have been excited about a different toy when you were a little boy or a little girl, uh, I mean, obviously most of you would have wanted that, but you probably would have wanted other things. Um, 
But the same question comes for us as a church. What is our character? What is our mood? What experiences have formed us? Where is our self-esteem in God? What are the answers? What is church? What is happening here? What are we believing God for, for our at six gathering? Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, incredibly uh, well-known verses. Um, they're the beginnings of, of a, a writer, Luke, who wrote a history of the church and a history of Jesus. And we call his first book Luke, and his second book the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or Acts of the Apostles. And this is what he writes. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, those twelve and some others. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So a researcher called Luke just after the events happened, many of which he saw firsthand, writes down a book to explain Jesus, the church, and more from the very beginning. What I want you to do tonight, on this evening, is think to yourself, I was there on that evening where we began to realize God had something. Log it. Keep it in your memory. Because one day, you might just say, I remember the beginning. I remember that moment. We were there. When we stopped calling the at six service, and started to call it our at, our at six gathering, our at six church. That's where we met then. Well, you, you get to be the researcher. You get to tell the story. You get to recount the remarkable miracles that God did. That's special. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he wrote this. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is a guy he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. See, Jesus did something important, but it was only the beginning. Jesus completed something, our salvation, but he began something. He began something. Um, I love all this stuff, but it began a revolution is what happened. What is church? Church is the next bit of that that Jesus began. Um, it says in this verse just here, Matthew chapter 28, which you must know, Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave this charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then he struck them in the practice of all that I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So for 2,000 years people like you and me have gathered like this in small groups and the work that Jesus began they've got hold of that vision that Jesus had and that commission that he gave all the authority that Jesus had he places on people like you and me Mr. and Mrs. Ordinary Average Normal Just people and he says here's my commission everything I've taught you everything I've begun you complete and you know, you think to yourself, that's not possible. Not, not us, not here. I want to tell you, for generation after generation after generation after generation, right back to a guy called Luke, who said, I have carefully investigated what began. I have carefully investigated what began. People like you and me have taken hold of the promise of God. We've learned what Jesus said. We've got hold of what he began, and we've continued. 
and we've given somebody else the opportunity to begin and continue. That's the call in our lives. And so tonight, I think this is a really precious evening. As we mark that Jesus Christ came to earth, walked amongst us, lived like we did, died a pure and perfect death, giving up everything. He took sin on himself. But then because he lived so perfect a life, he defeated death, rose again to life, commissioned people like you and me, sent us out to continue what he'd begun, and went to heaven to return at some point, and he will return. I believe that categorically, absolutely. He began something. He began a revolution of good news. Not a revolution of bad news. Not a revolution of destruction. Not a revolution to overthrow and to break and to kill and destroy but to break in and to redeem, to reconcile, to recreate, to begin again. That's the good news that we carry in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and even as far as Barnsley. That's in Scripture. There are lots of ways to describe church, but that is why the church is. To go into all the world. That is why we are. That is who we are. That is why we breathe. That is why we live. To continue what Jesus began. We get the great privilege. Get this. God the Father says, Hey son, what about if I send you to earth to begin this remarkable act of, of transformation, of redemption, of rescue, of salvation. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you to empower you to do all of that. And you're going to walk with all the risk, all the dangers, all the threat that those people walk about and live in. You're going to do that perfectly. You're going to get it right. And best still, you're going to surrender your life in their place and defeat death and rise again to life. And you're going to help them reconnect with me. We're going to be in a relationship. Once again, they're going to be able to call me father and I'm going to be able to look at them and say, children, what about it, Jesus? And Jesus says, yes, and he does it. And he does it. And then, so from the father to the son, the son then looks to us and he says, continue the work I've begun. Carry that message of, tra- of salvation. Carry that good news message. Do you know how privileged we are? I think we are so privileged. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And we are part of that church. He has begun it and he will not return until it's completed. I think he's in the business of building. He's in the build- business of building something spectacular. Now, I'm th- thinking, if God takes... Seven days, whether that be a literal bunch of 24 hours or however long a period it is, God creates this amazing, astonishing world. And if you don't believe me, watch something like Blue Planet and say, wow. I don't have an issue. I, I just think that is an amazing thing that God has created. Look at the universe. It's huge. And people scratch and grasp to understand it. But I know the Lord created it. Look how long he's spending getting this right. Look how long he's spending redeeming and rescuing. Jesus actually said, I've got to prepare a place for you to be with me. How long? How, what is that going to be like? He's taking all this time to prepare that. I'm dead serious now. God is in the business of doing something astonishing with people like you and me. And that is an astonishing message for people walking our streets around this place tonight that we are sent out to go and tell. So let's tell them. So what is happening here in this place right now are a group of people who are hearing what Jesus said, who are hearing why he came. And I'm telling you now, I'm saying it again now, they're seeking to obey what Jesus said. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit to empower them, to go and be witnesses to all the earth. And that is the call on us at six o'clock.
on a Sunday night. And it's our call on a Monday morning and every day of the week. We are learning all about what Jesus said and taught. And he's continuing to teach what he began we complete. In Ephesians chapter 2, a letter written to one of the very, very early churches, one of our ancestral churches, one of those group of people that centuries ago got hold of this truth and they, they had letters written to them and got hold of it so powerfully, we still read what they wrote about and read about. And it says in that book of Ephesians, a letter to them, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. So we are being built together to become a dwelling for his Holy Spirit. So the people that begin to gather at six o'clock on a Sunday evening in this place are being gathered to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did we read the Holy Spirit was given to us? So that we'd be empowered to go out and share good news. So this little group of people that meet at six o'clock on a Sunday night, what if we gather and the Holy Spirit is present and we are empowered to be his witnesses? What if we begin to talk to our neighbours differently? What if our colleagues at work tomorrow morning recognise that we gathered in his name, in his presence, and wow, wow, something special began to happen. So we meet together like this. We build together. We're open to God, open to his Holy Spirit. So what's the result? Well, the answer to my third question, what are we believing God for at 6 p.m.? on a Sunday night right now. We believe that we can get to continue what Jesus began. What did Jesus began, begin? Began? Begun? Started? He started the English language, <laughs> which I'm still trying to master. <laughs> he began the gathering of his people. He began the salvation of people. Not just people meeting in one spot. Not people that happened to turn up in the same location, but he began to build his church and at a church a church we gather to worship we gather to encourage we gather to teach we gather to learn we gather to equip we gather to build up we gather to break bread we gather to unite we gather to encourage to grow up and to go out that's church and we gather now to do the same thing to learn to encourage to equip to grow and to go we're about salvation church that's what we're brought into that is what the Lord is saying to us even now so I'm excited at the prospect of a family relation being born at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night a Hope House family relation a family that, that may meet at 10 o'clock but part of that family meets at 6 o'clock and I'm believing imagine this and, and it's statistically not a big deal Imagine 150 people meeting here on a Sunday night. I mean, guys, there are tens of thousands of people just living in the town centre. There are more than that gathering in the pubs around the town centre on a quiet Sunday night. So what if just 150 people began to meet as this part of the tribe, this part of the family at 6 o'clock? I'm believing for that. I actually can see it. In my mind, I can see it. I can imagine it. I can see amongst the 150 people, the connect group leaders and the stewards and the coffee team and the guys cleaning the toilets and preparing the room and the people setting up the baptistry for the next round of six o'clock baptisms. And I can imagine the people sharing communion bread and I can imagine the evangelists being prepared and sent out and excited about what God can do. I can imagine the prophetic words and the laying on of hands for healing. Just imagine, because that is the business that Jesus is in. And he says, I will build my church. And if he says he will build his church, church why should I think he's lying yeah. it's the truth are you up for the adventure yes. are you up to carry on that God revolution 
I believe we can. I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. We have an identity and a belonging in Jesus. We want to share that identity, that belonging. Let's remind you of this verse again. In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. He grabs us, he holds us, we belong, we matter. He took us to the cross, to everything that was wrong in our lives, but he did it joyfully because he saw victory there and he rose again to life. And why did he do that? Because he was determined to set us free and his heart is to set other people free, to carry that freedom, that good news into our town and beyond. So our band are going to come and play. I'm going to read a prayer just to remind us of what we're about this evening. It's a prayer of salvation. And as soon as I've done this prayer, I'm going to ask our band to lead us in the last few minutes of worship as we close our service. And we chat and we do fellowship and friendship and coffee, encourage one another, and just talk about what God could do, what he might do in our lives. So if you are physically capable, if you can, why don't you stand with me? Make me not feel alone. Help me to, to feel like you're connecting this. You see, this is, this is just an inflatable full of hair. It's full of my lung hair. I nearly passed out blowing that up. It said on the box, only inflate with a foot pump. <sighs> Church, we have an identity and belonging in Jesus and we are set free. But we are set free with a purpose, with a commission. We became Christians. We followed in a long line, in a heritage that stretches back to a man called Luke who wrote down the story of a man called Jesus who was sent by Father God who redeemed us who set us free here's a prayer of commitment that we make when we become Christians for the first time but I'm going to read it out because I want to remind you of the prayer that you made something similar when you first became a Christian if you're not a Christian this evening if you're listening in you're not a Christian we would love you to be with us and we'd love you to pray this prayer and to get in touch so we can encourage you and apprentice you and teach you all that Jesus said because it's worth knowing. For those of you that are Christians, let's read this prayer and remember the unity that it demands, the redemption it brings, the safety, opportunity, the future, the love, the belonging that it brings. So I'm going to read this prayer now. It begins this way. Lord Jesus, I know I've done things wrong in my thoughts and words and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many wrong things I have done. I'm sorry for those wrong things and turn from everything I know to be bad. You gave your life for me on a cross and gratefully I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to clean me. Come in as my Lord to lead me and I will serve you all the remaining days of my life. Amen. If you're not a Christian this evening, you can pray that prayer and find salvation. If you are a Christian this evening, take encouragement because you once prayed that prayer. That ordinary person that didn't know Jesus discovered him. And there are thousands upon thousands of people just like you surrounding this building now. In all the houses, all the clubs and pubs and the takeaway on the street that didn't know Jesus just like you. You had your miracle. They can have their miracle too of salvation. Let's worship God and believe that we are laying a foundation for a brand new church, for a new day, for a new hope. Not just a gathering, 
but a God-called purpose-filled people, a bride of Christ that he calls church. Amen. Yeah.